Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun. So winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. It's the Autosport Podcast. We preview the Belgian Grand Prix as Formula One resumes hostilities for the second half of the season. Formula One is back. The August break is over and we're heading to Spa for the Belgian Grand Prix for the second half of the 2019 F1 World Championship. And in our case, we are literally heading there as this is uh, one of our rare Autosport podcast car casts as we are currently in transit in a, a Ford Focus Estate hire car. The uh, the four of us who you will, will hear from on this podcast making our way to Spa. So I'm your host, Ed Straw, and joining me first is, is Scott Mitchell, who we have, we have just picked up after many, many hours hanging around in a French burger joint. But, uh, Be- Belgian burger joint. Oh, yeah, Bel- French Belgian. I mean, it's all I, the but same. I wasn't entirely sure whether it was French or Dutch. It's, it's Flemishy. It's kind of a bit of a weird place, Belgium. I got very confused when I was wandering around this little, what would you call it? Was that a town? I think it was a, t- yeah, a, a, I think it was a town a, a once. Little Bel- yeah, yeah. <laughs> when I was uh, pottering around this little Belgian suburb, killing time because of our shambolic attempt to, to tie up travel. Uh, I did when you say shambolic, three of us live in a sensible place. You live in Sweden. I live in a utopia. Um, and I'm paying the price for it, apparently, with my travel. Uh, yeah, I got very confused because I walked into a cafe that seemed very French, but was very 
duchy on the inside and that confused me quite a lot but i should get used to it i it's, this isn't my first time in in belgium or going to spa so i should know by now that it is a little bit of a, a, of a of a mismatch sometimes nice country though and also joining me is Jake Boxall-Legg, who's uh, cosily in the back seat with Scott Mitchell. Who they're, they're, just, si- they're, they're effortlessly passing the microphone between themselves. He just pressed it against my face as if I was being forced to talk on this podcast. Uh, but hello, everybody. <laughs> oh, we, did, we, did, we did say if, we, if you weren't going to talk, we would just leave you in a ditch somewhere. Yeah, that was, that was the price I pay. And because I actually want to get to Spa, uh, I, I was happy to bite the bullet on that one so i'm enjoying my first car cast um this is pretty fun uh i can describe all of the cars that we're seeing outside tech analysis uh later later tech analysis of a passing volvo there we go that'll be a uh, good enjoyable podcast material now the fourth guest on our podcast isn't really a guest on our podcast but he's quite he's quite important because he's actually getting us to spa as always our chauffeur is uh, is Stuart coddling who i will now allow to give a brief speech Hello, listeners. There is Stuart Codling. We're told he's not allowed to podcast and drive, so uh, he will be fairly quiet. You may hear interjections from a fifth voice, but that's just the sat-nav, which is keeping us heading roughly in the uh, in the right direction. I'm not quite sure where we are now. We're in Flanders somewhere, are we? We're on the E314, apparently. Oh, there we go. So uh, or the E40. I don't know. That sat-nav is very confusing. Yeah, it's uh, it does that. It's, it's very good at getting us around traffic, though, so uh, things have worked quite well there. So... All things being equal, we should actually make it to Spa and be able to bring you all the uh, news and coverage that you always expect from there. But let's get on to the World Championships, Scott. This race seems to me to be a real target for Ferrari. If they can't win at Spa, with the car characteristics, the strength of the engine, they can't win anywhere. <laughs> on the evidence of the first half of the season, they can't win anywhere. So how, how big is this weekend for Sebastian Vettel, Charles Leclerc and everyone at Ferrari? Well, it's very significant because this is the one-year anniversary of Sebastian Vettel's last win in, in Formula 1. Well, last win that counted. Obviously, he did cross the line first in Canada, which I'm sure he probably still carries as a little bit of a chip on his shoulder. Uh, but it does represent a massive opportunity for Vettel and, and Ferrari, although on the evidence of the season so far, um, should Ferrari find themselves in a position where they drop a bit of a clangor and somehow snatch defeat from the jaws of victory... I would imagine that Charles Leclerc will be the person heading that charge because when the car's been on it, Leclerc's been operating at a slightly higher peak than Vettel this year. But it does represent a very, very big opportunity, not just for Ferrari, but just continuing this lovely little run we've got of of good races because Lewis Hamilton's got a, a pretty monstrous lead now in the championship. Was he 62 points clear of, of Valtteri Bottas? And it's a all Mercedes fight at the moment so we don't really have a championship battle on our hand but we do at least have the 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 enjoyment of race by race fun and the good thing about going to Spa nice and power sensitive circuit and it'll hopefully be the same at at Monza next week as well we've got a chance for Ferrari to get back in the game because they were woeful in Hungary but I'm expecting quite a different situation at Spa given how different the two circuits are. Yeah, and Ferrari will definitely be desperate to actually get a, uh, a win on the board because it has been, without raking over the, the ashes of the first half of the season too much because we're trying to look ahead here, you did a piece over the August break looking at how many races Ferrari could have won and what the point situation could be. And actually, your kind of alternate reality, which is a not excessively generous interpretation of what could have happened if Ferrari got things right, just shows how many opportunities Ferrari has missed because they could have been much, much closer in the championship. It's amazing how little you actually need to change the season to have quite a, quite a big change in output. I mean, we, we didn't really go into 
super crazy mode with this alternate reality. Sometimes you can really get swept up in your own narrative, but this was basically just ironing out the, the Ferrari mistake. So when there was a result achievable, they achieved it. Basically, if they'd put together the sort of season that Mercedes ha- has done. Um, and yeah, Lewis Hamilton's still quite a way clear in the World Championship, but the gap is a lot smaller than it, it, it would have it the gap would have been a lot smaller than it is in reality. And also, crucially, it would have been Leclerc in second. That's what sort of my alternate reality created. Leclerc's in second, not Bottas. So not only have you got a smaller gap going to two races where Ferrari could win them both, you've got Ferrari in second in the championships. It's a two-team fight. It's a little bit more interesting. So, But unfortunately, that's not the reality we've got. As I said before, the reality we've got is a slightly stale championship fight. But at least something that race by race we don't know exactly what was what's going to happen verstappen and red bull were the were the big challenges in in hungary and the really the four races before the summer break but now coming after the summer break i'd be surprised if ferrari's not back in the mix and certainly when it comes to to spa i feel like this is the best chance because spa is also a bit of a trade-off circuit so if if ferrari can get good performance in the middle sector which is the twistier one as well as the first and third sectors that are the 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 high speed one uh, in terms of, of straights, lots of full throttle, that should mean they're in quite good shape. But we have seen, Jake Boxer leg that the Ferrari have talked about the problems they've had with maybe getting their, their drag-to-downforce ratio they're aiming for. Not quite right. They've they've gone with an error-efficient car, plus they've got the engine power. And they're just a little bit concerned they haven't got the overall downforce. But Spa is a circuit where actually you don't need that highest level of downforce at all to, to be successful. No, definitely not. We've seen in the past, I think... The best example of that is 2009, where Force India turned up. They built a car that they pretty much designed for these two tracks from off the from the off, um, and then the team came into this weekend having scored no points. Giancarlo Fisichella got pole position, eventually came second. Obviously, Ferrari hasn't gone quite to the same extreme, um, but. We do expect them to be a lot stronger this weekend. Um, the amount of problems they have with balance, uh, especially with regards to turning, especially with regards to driver feeling, it's not so much of a problem in Spa. Um, you can get away with a lot if you've got a good engine. Uh, one would argue that the following weekend in Monza, that would be much of the same, really. But this does represent the best opportunity they've got, technically. Um, and, yeah... If they can't win here, then what, what does that really say, to be honest with you? And the pressure will be on to actually to actually get a victory. It's really important for a, for a team to actually show that they can, they can do it. So I imagine the, uh, the pressure will be high there. And that in itself can create problems, can't it, when you've got that intensity and then the, the, the pressure going on. But obviously, Mercedes are going to be strong and competitive there. It'll be interesting to see because we've seen this pattern whereby at circuits where Ferrari's strongest, often they're very strong in qualifying and they're not quite as strong in the race we may well see that that pattern repeated here because the Ferrari engine advantage isn't quite there in the same way in in race conditions so you have to consider that Lewis Hamilton is is going to be in the mix and so should Valtteri Bottas so that that's kind of the, the big challenge that uh, that Ferrari faces of course you can absolutely never discount Mercedes um, it's a car that is a strong all-rounder and as soon as you think okay maybe Ferrari have the upper hand here uh, maybe we've thought earlier in the season when we thought, okay, Ferrari can have a really good chance here. It's been Mercedes that's t- turned up and put in the hard graft, put in the hard yards and gone out and won out. Um, there's only been a couple of examples this season where that hasn't been the case. And that's been through either perhaps just taking the eye off the ball in perhaps like in Hockenheim or just not having 
being surprised by the conditions like like in Austria. So here, you know, you kind of there are certain conditions that you expect. Mercedes will have prepared for them as well. Um, so you can't you can't expect them just to drop off a cliff. They'd have had the whole summer to get their heads around what the conditions are going to be like, what's the circuit going to be like. So you know, expecting a Ferrari, expecting a Ferrari walkover would be stupid, uh, but expecting Mercedes to fall down would also be would also be pretty stupid as well. I think. And of course, we should talk about Red Bull. Max Verstappen has won two of the last four races, and Scott, you've done a, a lot of stuff with Honda recently about their plans. Now we do know Honda, well, Red Bull are going to have to take engine penalties at some point in the second half of the year. Spa is a pretty good place to do that, isn't it? So what exactly is the engine situation going to be for, or the penalty situation rather, for Verstappen and and new teammate Alex Albon? Well, we don't know officially at the moment, but my expectation is that there'll be a new engine um, for this weekend. Uh, I think that will be married to the introduction of a new spec as well. So it'll be Honda's third upgrade of the year, which is pretty good going for 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 the Japanese manufacturer to to, to squeeze an extra upgrade in. Obviously, that will come at the cost of of grid penalties if it's introduced. Um, well, regardless of whether it's a new spec, it'll be grid penalties because the two upgrades that Verstappen and Co have used so far has taken them to their seasonal limit already. So grid penalties expected. This is a logical place for it because Honda are quite excited about their prospects for the Japanese Grand Prix. And I know Suzuka's a few races away, but when Honda and their respective teams are making a decision on when to introduce a new engine, they've got a short-term and medium-term projection. They've got these this idea in mind of, right, how many miles has the engine done? Do we need to replace it? That's short-term. And their medium-term is... Term is what, when we get to this track, which engine will we have available? How close will it be to the end of its life, etc.? So what's difficult for Honda is that it, Spa and Monza aren't going to be their strongest circuits of the year. Honda has, has made a lot of progress. Rebel's doing well. They are, they are more competitive on power-sensitive circuits, but they're not going to go out and stick it on pole, I don't imagine, like they did in Hungary. So it's kind of a case of getting through these two weekends in as strong a fashion as possible, and then being in a position to go and win in Singapore, which comes straight after. So you've got to introduce that new engine at Spa or Monza, because otherwise you introduce it in Singapore, because Verstappen's engine's already done five races, so it won't last till Singapore. You can't introduce it in Singapore because you'll have a group penalty there, so it has to be Spa or Monza. But if they do that, then it'll do Spa, Monza, Singapore, Russia, and then we're at Suzuka, and as I said, Honda really want to do well there. So then they've got another dilemma there. Do they introduce another new engine, take a grid penalty, or do they do they stick it out with the, the engine on its fifth race, and will that be enough? So it's, it's really complicated. You can see why Honda and the teams need to take their time. But Spa's a very, very good place to go for a new engine. It's like Monza. There's opportunities to make the places up. It should be a fairly straightforward run back to the top five for Verstappen if he does start at the back, gets a new engine in the pool, gets ready for for, for Singapore, puts them in a good position for that, and also gives them a good opportunity to benchmark themselves at Monza against Mercedes and Ferrari. Because if they start in position at Monza, they'll have their latest upgraded engine. Ferrari and Mercedes should have theirs as well. It's a power-sensitive circuit. So get Spa out of the way, take the grid penalty here, and know where you stand engine-wise at Monza, and then go and win in Singapore. Presumably that's the plan. 
It's going to make it a hard start for Alex Alban, isn't it? He's replaced Pierre Gasly with Pierre Gasly going to Toro Rosso. So it means every chance that they, they, he will have the grid penalty. So it's going to make it a slightly different kind of weekend for his for his Red Bull debut, if that's the the case. But I guess on the other hand, it, it eases a little bit of the pressure, doesn't it? Because it's not quite going to be the same onus on qualifying, perhaps, and he should be able to you know bank some experience coming through, however many cars he needs to in the race. Yeah, definitely. I'm going to weigh on this, in on this, uh, if you don't mind. But yeah, um, we've seen Albon off the very, very, very start of the season. He's made a couple of mistakes in the early season, probably when he's needed to. You sort of, in the opening rounds, you learn where the limits are, end up pushing a little bit too hard. But I think that's kind of okay and that's kind of acceptable as long as you don't continue through the season doing it. And he hasn't. Red Bull's given him this opportunity to say, okay, look, you've been able to hack it in a Toro Rosso. What can you do in the Red Bull? Gasly's been pretty ineffectual all season. The worst thing that can happen is that Albon is in the same position as Gasly. I don't think it can really get too much worse than that. If he's closer to Verstappen, if he challenges Verstappen, he's doing his chances the world of good. Um, he's a driver who can... Perhaps in the past he's learned a little bit slower than some of the rest, but in Formula 2 and especially in Formula 1 he seems to have really clicked with with everything with the race weekend with the race format and he's he's had a really really successful last couple of years and it would be fantastic to see him just keep that trajectory going really he has been impressive because you mentioned he had a few mishaps he's had three practice crashes this year in Australia the big one in China on Saturday morning and also he shunted in in Hungary but he's usually reacted quite well to that and hasn't carried any ill effects you do see some drivers who have one setback of a weekend and they never really seem to recover but he's quite good at learning from uh, from those errors and then uh, carrying through the form for the rest of the weekend obviously China he started in the pits and uh, came through to get to get a point which is an impressive performance so I guess the real test for Albon is we know he's a quick driver he always has been ever since he was very highly rated in in carts but uh, this is the the kind of the latest test of that that mental strength that he's clearly got a reasonable level of. I think we can say perhaps Pierre Gasly struggled a bit in the Red Bull environment, or they would have they wouldn't have taken him out of that Red Bull environment if they didn't feel that it, he was pretty much irredeemable in terms of the situation this season. That doesn't necessarily mean they might think he's irredeemable forever, but they, they clearly felt they had to change things. So that's the interesting thing for Albon. Can he up against Verstappen, who is unquestionably one of the two best Grand Prix drivers in the world now? Or you can make a good case that he's the best him, Hamilton, both up there operating at a very, very high level. And he's got to go in, show he can do what he's doing at the top level, up against some seriously good drivers, and in doing so, try and justify his place in the team for next year. So that that's the, the, the most intense series of questions and amount of pressure he'll ever have been under. Definitely. Um, it's very much a mental thing. Can he... Does he have the skill to do it? Well, in the past, we've seen in GP3, he matched... He battled hard with, ultimately lost out to, but was very, very close to Charles Leclerc. We know how good Charles Leclerc is. We have him earmarked as one of the future stars of Formula 1, and he'll be battling with Verstappen for many, many years. So if Albon is you know, as, as good as Leclerc is on that basis, uh, obviously his time in F2 was... The, the first season was a bit difficult, um, but in the second season a very unfancy driver. He got the deal on a race-by-race basis and managed to keep proving himself week in, week out. So he can do it. 
first season in Formula One, he's a match for Danny Kvyat, and he's a very, very good driver. Um, probably a little bit off of Ricardo's pace in, in Red Bull. So you look at all of these sort of points of to benchmark him, and there is the potential for him to be able to maybe not off the bat match for Stappen, but at least the very least give him a run for his money. Well, we've had our first proper insight from what Albon's thinking at the moment in in, uh, Red, in Red Bull's pre-race preview, which is the, the most we've heard from him. We've ha- had a couple of social media snippets, but he talked about not being... Uh, not being too daunted by this, he, even though he knows there's going to be, in his words, lots of noise and attention around him. I think he's he seems to have taken confidence from what he describes as basically making a big jumps before. And I think the main thing there is, as as JBL alluded to, the, the, the step into F1 this year and how he's coped with it. Because Albon's story is phenomenal. This time a year ago, he was being talked of as not a serious contender for... For, for F1, Red Bull had no interest, it seemed, to, to bring him back onto the scheme. His free ride in Formula 2 was was coming to an end, despite it being a fairly impressive season that won him a Nissan Edam's Formula E seat. He's gone from being absolutely nowhere on the F1 radar to now being... In a, he could win this weekend's Grand Prix. I mean, it'll take a, a bit of uh, Max Verstappen on his Red Bull debut in Spain 2016 about it, but he goes there with a much better chance of winning the race than he did when he was in if he turned up in a Toro Rosso. So it's a huge opportunity for him. And the thing that will encourage him, and I think counts in his favour, is that he was thrown in at the deep end at Toro Rosso this year. First time he drove an F1 car properly was in pre-season testing. He did a little very bit... Very instantly parts in the gravel. Yeah, very he did, didn't he? But he, he, he'd done a little shakedown in Italy the week before, turned up at Barcelona, put it in the gravel, basically. I think it was on his outlap, wasn't it? Yeah, it's his outlap, so it's coming out of turn four, the yeah, right-hander. So R- really hard conditions. A few drivers had trouble. Yeah, he wasn't Reichen the only and, one. I think, yeah, Reichen 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 off, did. They, yeah. So, you know, one of the... You know, the guy who will become the most experienced driver in F1 history did the same thing. So don't hold that against Albon. But he's done a very, very good job. He did what? What would he have had? Three days in the car? Four days in the car before going to Australia? And since then, I mean, even when he's done things like having that chunky crash in, in qualifying in China, he bounced back from that and scored a point the next day despite starting. Was he start from the pit lane? So he, he's been excellent in the first half of the season. Obviously, he wouldn't be in a Red Bull seat now if circumstances hadn't gone in his favour. But he's got a bit of a track record of making the most of unlikely opportunities. So why not back him to do the same at Red Bull? The flip side of the Albon coin, of course, is Pierre Gasly. Now, it did look like Red Bull were pretty committed to keeping Gasly in the car for the the rest of the season and not make this change. Hungary was a pretty poor weekend and evidently they've decided that that's a bit of a, a lost cause at this stage and that he's just too far gone, not able to get things back on the right track. But what Christian Horner was saying publicly messaging changed a little bit after Hungary where he was a bit harsher on uh, Gasly having backed into the hill prior to that so I think that Hungary weekend was a was an important uh, decider in terms of, of what they've changed which they didn't want to do and you know it's quite a big big thing to change a driver line at mid-season and you would only do that if you're absolutely certain that it's the sensible and right thing to do and obviously improved performance is one thing they want they also want to have a chance to properly evaluate Albon for uh, for next season so that they've opted for that but Gasly of course is ending up in this very difficult situation where he's been busted back to Toro Rosso obviously when Kvyat had that happen to him in 2016 he really 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 struggled and just didn't get himself back on an even keel even though he was able to perform well so 
it's going to be very interesting to see how Gasly reacts. We saw him post on Twitter when he's having a seat fitting in the car, you know, back home with Toro Rosso. So he likes the team. He had success there last year. They know him. So I guess the hope for him is in terms of actually delivering on the, the ability we know he's got. He showed it last year. Is that he goes in, it, into a familiar environment that he's happy and comfortable with and he can just kind of do his job, which clearly he wasn't able to do properly at, uh, at Red Bull for, for whatever reason. So that, that's an interesting question as to whether he can pick himself up perform at the level you'd expect of a Toro Rosso driver in quite a competitive part uh, part of the midfield. Obviously, that's going to be very, very tight. So I'm interested to see how he responds. He has to see this not as a, a disaster for his career, which it could be his demotion, but he needs just to see it as an opportunity to say, OK, I struggled on that promotion, but it, maybe it was a bit early, and I'm going to show that I can be solid enough and come back and not buckle under the, under the disappointments of, of what's happened. Well, we know that Red Bull, and especially Helmut Marko, quite like it when the driver bounces back from adversity. And the bottom line is Gasly's not been binned off entirely. He still stays within the Red Bull family. He's still an F1 driver. He's back in familiar surroundings. So hopefully that can sort of gee him up a little bit and just let him end the year on a high. The bottom line is Toro Rosso's currently on course for, I think, it's best result in his history, isn't it? it where, where it is in the Constructors' Championship at the moment. So... If, if Gasly can play a key role in, in getting that over the line, obviously Kvyat's fortunate podium in Germany played a big part. But if Gasly can, can do the job, outperform Kvyat, land some big results, then he, he is still in the conversation for, to get back into the Red Bull senior team next year, get a bit of momentum behind him. Because what he doesn't want to do, or what Red Bull didn't want to happen, is Gasly just limp to the end of the season. That would have been really problematic because it would have been bad for Gasly's confidence. Red Bull would have had no idea what to do for 2020 because it wouldn't have evaluated Albon. Kvyat would still have been a bit of a, well, we've only got this guy back because we didn't really have any other options for this season for Toro Rosso. And he wasn't great with us when he was at the Red Bull senior team three years ago. And Gasly's not really stunning. So oh, what are we going to do? This is a bit of a nightmare. Red Bull's basically played the strongest hand it can think of. Best case scenario... His Albon stuns at Red Bull, does really well. Gasly rises to the occasion at Torosso and Kvyat goes with him. And then Red Bull can basically say, right, now we can just make an objective decision on which of these guys we want the most because they're all doing a really good job. And worst case scenario is that Albon does what Gasly did at Red Bull. Gasly toils back at Torosso and Kvyat doesn't look any stunning either. Those are the two ends of the spectrum, basically, for how this goes for Red Bull. And the... What what's quite cool about this weekend and Monza is they're quite they're so, they can be so unpredictable Spa especially that it's just going to be interesting to see how we you know what the first answers we get to that conundrum is. Yeah, very much so. And it's going to be it's going to be tough for both of them because it's the first time Albon and Gasly have driven their respective cars since they've they've switched. So a lot for them to to learn. I do think that that both have styles that could get on reasonably well with those particular cars because despite the fact there is some crossover and components they're, they're quite different in the way they they behave on track the uh, Toro Rosso and the Red Bull so let's see how they how they get on we should of course also talk about driver situation at Mercedes because it seems to be that the decision is leaning more in Valtteri Bottas's favour in the decision about whether it's him or Ocon alongside Lewis Hamilton next season and that means Ocon's you know, closing on either a move to Renault or I guess potentially Haas is still on, on the table. So what, what do we expect to, to happen there? 
Well, if you're a fan of Nico Hulkenberg's Instagram page, then we're expecting something exciting. Because he has teased this... Uh, well, I don't, I don't really know why he's done it, but he's weighed into these rumours that Ocon's going to replace him at Renault by sharing a photo of the front uh, front cover of this the latest issue of Auto Hebdo magazine, the French publication, which has Ocon mocked up in uh, 2019 Renault race suit, and it declares that Ocon's going back there. At the start of the week, my understanding was that there was no deal done for Ocon to go to Renault, but it did look like all signs were pointing to Bottas' staying at Mercedes, and that's why the attention is now on where Ocon ends up. Because he obviously has history at Renault. He was their reserve driver, what, three years ago. He was going to join them for 2019, and then Renault did an about-face at the last minute because they swooped for Daniel Ricciardo. So now he's going to replace the guy supposedly that he was meant to partner for this season which is unfortunate for Hulkenberg so the way it looks at the moment is I'm expecting an announcement before things get going at Spa uh, Valtteri Bottas is speaking I think in the official FIA press conference whether or not that's a sign I don't know whether it's coincidence I don't think these sort of things ever are really coincidence so my expectation is Bottas stays at Mercedes and then Ocon joins Renault. But you're right, it does look like Haas, it, or at least at some point recently, Haas was still a, a possible number two choice for, for Ocon. But I think he wants to go to Renault. If he could, obviously, he wanted the Mercedes seat because that's a chance to win races, maybe fight for the title. Renault, at least, is a works team, French manufacturer. So it's quite a good little setup, even though they're struggling at the moment. But Hulkenberg took to Instagram to say it's going to be quite exciting. Um, I I think it's going to be quite an interesting Thursday. There's so much going on. It's really good, actually. It's quite nice to come back from the summer break and have a few different storylines bubbling around. Yeah, of course, it's going to be uh, interesting to hear. And then about Hulkenberg, whether he could go to uh, Haas potentially as well, because we know he's been on their, their radar as a, as a person of interest. So there'll be lots of interest amongst all of those uh, teams. It's an interesting decision from Mercedes. I must admit, I'd have maybe lent towards Ocon despite the risk of disruption but I think you know if they are continuing with Bottas and it looks that way that it reflects their confidence in Lewis Hamilton hanging around for longer than beyond the end of his contract and that's the, the biggest strength Bottas offers because he's a great teammate to, to have for Hamilton it's good for team harmony after all the trouble they had with Rosberg and Hamilton together for over the uh, years they were fighting for the for the championship and you know, I'm actually quite pleased with Bottas because he is a good driver. He has he has improved over the three years at Mercedes. Qualifying performances have been excellent this year. His race performances have often been good. Occasionally, when the tyre deck's a bit of a problem, he's struggled a bit. And then Hockenheim and Hungary went a bit wrong for him. And that's that's kind of broken his championship challenge, such as it was, now that he's 62 points behind. I think that crash in Hockenheim is the, is the particular uh, blow for, for that hope because it just moved him even further out of... Uh, out of range, but it's a chance for Bottas to keep building on what he's learned, continue to tackle those uh, weaknesses, and to his credit, he has been quite good at improving himself and picking himself up after defeats, etc. That said, it's a little bit disappointing, because we know how good Ocon is, and it would be fascinating to see how he performed in a, in a situation like Mercedes. I think if he's there, well, whatever happens, if he's in Renault or, or Haas, it's going to be a much, much harder task for him, uh, because of just the situation of, of those teams to... Um, to perhaps have a kind of stable place to start. Mercedes bring very different pressures 
of being up against Hamilton, but at least you know you can should be able to fight for victories up at, up at the front. So, uh, yeah, it's one of those decisions that Toto Wolff talked about how difficult it was, and I can see why it was, because Bottas has many qualities, even if there are a few weaknesses that I suspect will probably never be entirely dialed out. I can't see him becoming the most ferocious racer in battle in wheel-to-wheel stuff, because I don't don't think he ever has been. And that's, I think, something that's kind of intrinsic to to drivers. And the the tyre management, he can improve, and perhaps next season as well, as the the tyres got a little bit more robust, he might have less of a problem, because it's only been a few races where that's been exposed. So, yeah, interesting, interesting, they'd say, taking that choice. And I think probably the most significant thing there is what it means for Hamilton long-term, because I imagine if Mercedes seriously thought that there was a good chance of Hamilton not being there in 2021, they might have considered making a different decision. I'm going to go out on a limb here. Um, I don't have quite as much inside knowledge as you guys, so I appreciate this might just be a little bit of a hot take. But given that they look, as you guys have intimated, primed to keep Bottas around... um, what I'm thinking now is instead of getting Ocon in and up to speed, um, I'm I'm of the thought, the school of thought that they're instead deciding to focus on once Russell's finished with Williams, what they're going to do with him. So have Bottas for another year. Russell, I think he's on a two-year deal at Williams. I think he's got a three-year deal in total, but obviously if they want him, there, there's accommodations that can be reached. Okay, um, but there is the opportunity then for them when it comes to 2021. Also, it brings them a little bit more within the kind of contract cycle, if you like, as well. Um, we know that Verstappen's got another year. Uh, you know, they'll be angling for him as well, surely, uh, if he becomes available. I think keeping Bottas for another year on track, it's good for Mercedes because it keeps that harmony going, but it gives them a lot more options when it comes to you know, contracts for 2021 or beyond that, they're going to have a lot more options available to them. And then they can go away and think, okay, what's Hamilton going to do? Is Verstappen available? How's Russell doing? How's, have we still got Ocon on some, a little bit of a leash here? Has Bottas improved? And then they'll assess and go forward. So I think, yeah, it keeps their options a lot more open. Um, it makes sense to keep Bottas, I think, for another year. Um, personally, I would gamble on Russell now, but he still needs a little bit more time to get acclimatised the cut and thrust of Formula 1, really. So, it, for me, it makes sense. Yeah, I think there's uh, something to be said for that interpretation. I, I think the the thing that kind of makes that make a little bit more sense in many ways is I think, I think if they're relatively confident, they should still have Hamilton. And then maybe there is the chance to go for a Verstappen or something if they really uh, want to. Because I think the, the situation they need to avoid more than anything is going into 21 without a top driver, which I know I know sounds ridiculous for a team like that. But if Hamilton does a Rosberg-esque mic drop moment retirement, they could end up in a, in a bit of trouble. But I suspect that going down this path means they're at least confident that uh, a deal can be uh, can be done. And I suspect Hamilton would want to go on as well because there's every chance that in 21 he could be gunning for the record eighth title. He's certainly going to have six titles by the end of this year. Could he easily have a seventh by the end of end of uh, next year? And it, it's obviously interesting the dynamic with Russell and Ocon as well because this this may also mean that they think Russell is the better prospect compared to Ocon, possibly. Um, it'd be interesting to see exactly what 
they say both uh, both publicly and, and privately about this uh, about this situation. But they, I know they rate Russell. Toto Wolf talked about the risk of, of doing damage to him by putting him in too early, so they didn't want to do that. So it, it could also be taken as a positive for Russell, and it's also good for Ocon to get on the grid. So he did, he couldn't have another year really on the sidelines. One year's fine, two years you you can't really. So. While Renault is going to be a tricky place to go into, if it is Renault and Haas would be as, as well, at least that gets him back on the grid. And in the case of Renault, it would be a manufacturer team. So, uh, yeah, at least it gets a high-quality driver. And Ocon is a very high-quality driver who has got tremendous potential to get him on the grid. is a, is a real uh, positive. But I do wonder if the how big a part the, the concern about disrupting the team played in uh, deciding not, not to put Ocon in because... We know he would have gone in as a driver desperate to assert himself over Lewis Hamilton, which okay, Bottas wants to be as well. But Bottas is quite um, what the right word is. It's not that he's excessively compliant. He he does desperately want to be, but he's he's not going to go to ridiculous degrees. Whereas we all know the most the most ruthless drivers, the the potentially great drivers, are willing to go to extremes, and maybe they feel Ocon could be a risk for that for disrupting Hamilton, especially given Ocon was involved in a few clashes with Perez in his time at. Uh, at uh, Force India, although I should stress they weren't, uh, so it wasn't that he was causing them all by any stretch of the imagination. So yeah, an interesting, uh, interesting situation. You might be able to hear our satnav talking in the background there, keeping uh, Stuart Codling pointing in the uh, right direction. Where are we now? Passing? Not, we're not far. Signed to Maastricht. Also, Scott, we should talk about the uh, the midfield battle because it, there's been a bit of time for. Uh, dust to settle on that. McLaren obviously had a, a spectacularly good first half of the season, considering where they were coming from in, in the end in a comfortable fourth place. And we've got this massive scrap for fifth place. Toro Rosso currently holds that position. But the, I think for me, the really interesting question is how Renault get on, because things haven't really gone well for them this season. The French Grand Prix upgrade was much heralded, much talked up, and hasn't really delivered as hoped. I think Nico Hulkenberg said that the next few races are pretty critical for Renault's season, because really that team does need to be getting into the fight for fourth and they're a long way off. I think they've got less than half of the points that McLaren has. Well, that that situation of talking something up and then failing to deliver properly has been pretty much par for the course for Renault's engine operation and with the exception of last year, really, the works team since, that, since that's rejoined the grid. So, uh, it's been it's been a very, very poor few years for, for Renault. Um, oh, we've hit traffic. Oh no, that's traffic, unfortunate. Traffic jam coming. At least we, that'll cut back the road noise for listeners. We've hit the sort of obstacle that Renault's hit in its Formula One ambitions. Uh, it's, it has been disappointing for for Renault. It's problematic. Um, it's interesting to see that quote from Hulkenberg talking about it being make or break the next couple of races, especially if we're going to get confirmation soon that he's lost his drive. If that if that's what's happening, so. Is it? It's not a very pleasant time for Renault at the moment. I don't really see sort of any real sign of it changing as well before the end of the year because McLaren is, as you say, away and clear in fourth in the championship. Torosso has managed to, to to get involved there with a with with one of those sort of results where everything comes together and in one race weekend you double your season's points haul that that sort of race uh, in Germany, but. Toros has also looked a slightly more sort of competitive all-round prospect than Renault. Renault just seems to be like once or twice this season it's surged to the front of that midfield, but the rest of the time it's sort of been scrapping in the middle. It's if Haas hadn't had such a dramatic fall from grace from last year, I think Renault would probably be facing even more questions than it's being asked at the moment. 
Yeah, it's a very difficult situation for them. I almost feel they need to kind of, obviously there's intense pressure because at board level they're meant to be finishing. I think they've said that this year the target was to finish a better fourth because they were fourth in the constructors last year. They wanted to be kind of pulling away from the midfield, not kind of stuck deep in it as, as they are at the moment. But at the same time, you sort of see evidence of maybe they're not being as methodical as they need to be, with all their setup work, etc. Because they're, they're just being a little bit grabby with what they're trying to achieve. And I think almost feel like they need to just focus on just being a race team, getting the best they can out of the car the weekend and not worrying quite so much about whether they're at the front of the midfield or not. It's that kind of strange thing, isn't it? That by not being too worried about the, the outcome, you can just fo- focus on the process. Uh, same as with a, a driver mentality, uh, really. But it's a very, very hard situation for them because there'll be serious questions being asked. There's been big investment going on there. So, yeah, I'm not um, I'm not sure there is a way back for them into that battle for fourth in the Constructors' Championship. But that said, as you pointed out with Toro Rosso, they had a big weekend. So, you know, if McLaren has a bad weekend and Renault's getting kind of a fifth and sixth place, that at least hauls them a chunk closer. So, possible, but... With the reliability, the fact the car hasn't been that consistent, it's still not brilliant over, it's not terrible, it's not brilliant over bumps, doesn't quite got enough downfalls, it's not brilliant on the brakes, they struggle with them a little bit sometimes. So there's a lot of things in that package that aren't quite as they should be. And the interesting thing is, internally, what, whether they're really able to get to the bottom of the, the underperformance, because it's not fundamentally a problem that Renault are not up with the top three teams at the moment. That isn't the issue. We didn't expect them to be this season, but they need to be outperforming or at least not behind midfield operations. They need to be at the front of the midfield and pulling away from them for the for them to be on kind of target to, to be where they want to be in 2021, which is new rules and should be an opportunity to, to fight uh, at least near the front. I don't trust them to get that right, though, at the moment. As you said, their processes don't seem uh, to be in, in, in order at all. Um, it's... It's difficult, really, to find positives in their season so far, and the way that they're, the way it's actually been a bit of a weird mid midfield battle all year because McLaren has been consistently very good, and obviously off the back of the midfield battle, Williams has been consistently nowhere until Hungary, pretty much, and then, but then the teams behind McLaren, so Haas were a bit random, but now just seem to have sort of quite consistently struggled. Racing Point aren't really at the races Torosso had that big score but are sort of doing their usual bit of sometimes in the point sometimes not Alfa Romeo seems to have really kicked on and I think Alfa Romeo's got the best chance of establishing themselves as the the fifth best team now but Renault racing point Torosso has they're just they seem to be in all it's 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 a really weird midfield battle now because you've got obviously you've got Class A out in front and then you've sort of got McLaren's now in its own sort of little world. And then you've got a, just a peculiar fighting for scraps behind McLaren in the sort of class B slash C group. It, it's just weird, isn't it? It's not, it's been intense weekend by weekend, but it doesn't seem to be much of a narrative beyond Alfa Romeo getting good and McLaren being consistent, consistently good. It's just Renault Haas racing point and Torosso a bit random. Yeah, and I think it also comes down to the fact that because it is so congested and tightly packed, small little performance swings make a make a big difference, don't they? But it's uh, it's funny because these two races, Spa and Monza, they're they're kind of a little a little island as a pair of races because a lot of them will be planning upgrades for Singapore, 
that's a place where we often see fairly big packages of a few teams. I mean, Racing Point, for example, will have a reasonable amount for, for Singapore. And then once you get to Singapore, it's kind of a slightly more normal run, should we say, rather than the low, the low downforce tracks. So, again, for example, Racing Point, they were strong at Baku, which is a, a track of that characteristic. So will Racing Point suddenly be a, a much more competitive proposition here? We did see signs that the upgrade introduced in Germany was a step forward, but then they struggled badly in Hungary. So we don't quite know exactly where they are with that that package and whether it was just they haven't quite got on top of it or whether it is struggling in the the, the sort of lower speed corners and the high, very high downforce stuff as uh, as dominates at, at the Hungara ring. So, yeah, interested to see if Perez can do anything. Well, and Stroll as well, because we know he's struggling in qualifying, but he can he can race. But Perez, of course, was, I think, six in Baku, wasn't he? So, you know, that, that car, admittedly back in April, was strong enough on that sort of track to... Uh, to do well so yeah an interesting uh an, an interesting battle but c- coming back to the the fights at the front are we still considering this to be a a live championship with hamilton 62 points clear of a bottas i mean it I'd, I'd say it's almost inconceivable that bottas can make up 62 points without some extraordinary run of bad luck for for hamilton it'd have to be a a few malaysia 2016s for him to uh to, to have any chance of, of losing that lead but then you have to ask if can do we think Verstappen can do enough he could be sitting on three wins out of four if uh, if Hungary hadn't been uh, lost near the end but are we are we just sort of shrugging our shoulders and saying probably isn't a championship fight now but let's let's see how they they go race by race as we work towards next year yeah I think the closest championship battle now I think is going to be Verstappen trying to overhaul Bottas and sneak second which would be a phenomenal result you think back to where we were in pre-season testing, that would uh, that would that would represent a, a brilliant season for Verstappen and Red Bull. Um, like I said earlier, I think we're now at the point where race by race, I think it's going to be very interesting. But I just don't see a championship battle materialising. I, I really don't want to be negative in in that way. I, I I want to have intrigue. I want to go down to the down to Abu Dhabi and and not know who's going to be champion. But I think it's going to be wrapped up well before that because. Not only is Bottas traditionally weaker in the second half of the season, he's fallen away from Hamilton quite dramatically the last couple of years. Um, he's also not as uh, strong as, as Hamilton when it comes to fighting the other cars as well. So as Verstappen and Red Bull continue to get more competitive at the tracks where Ferrari's at play, I, I, I see Bottas being the Mercedes driver who's most likely to, to drop points. This is when Hamilton really gets going usually, so... I just don't see any reason why Hamilton won't go from strength to strength as normal, why Bottas won't sort of slip away a little bit, even if he's not... I'm not saying he's going to do as badly as last year. What did he end last year on? It was a major run of fifth places, wasn't it? Well, he slipped back to fifth in the championship in the end, didn't it? Was, it was a really bad run released. at the end of the and, year. And we have seen this uh, the past... Well, both his previous two seasons at Mercedes, the second half of the year has, has been a real struggle for him. And I think that's important for him. Maybe I mean, he'll still be talking about the championship and focusing on the championship and saying that he's here to win. But I think the most important thing for Bottas will be to to not have those slumps can uh, repeat themselves and the struggles and really show that he, he's he, he's able to do the job the team needs him to do. Because I think that's the main concern, that if it gets really close, and let's say Red Bull, Honda comes out with a strong package next year and they're up there with Mercedes and Ferrari's up there as well and we have a... The thing we all want, which we probably won't get, which is three teams genuine in the title fight, that's when you really need your number two driver as well to be up there. And, and Bottas is a de facto number two driver, ultimately. I, I don't think he's deliberately disadvantaged, especially or whatever, although they can do that if they need to. 
but he is just not as good as Lewis Hamilton. There's no disgrace in saying that because Lewis Hamilton's an, an all-time great, but they do need him to be close to Hamilton. And he's, he's close in qualifying. He's doing it there, but he needs to be sort of with him and behind him in races. Because as we saw in Hungary, with Gasly being nowhere, that when he should have been sort of, if he was within a, a pit stop of Verstappen, then it, it could have made that Mercedes strategy much more complicated. And that's what you need your second driver to be do to be able to spoil other people's races and be in the way and take points off people. That's why you, a second driver is not simply a driver who is worse than your lead driver. They need to be close enough to be to be strong and do to do that, but not uh, not close enough to be constantly taking points off each other. Should we say? If we're gonna have a um, if we're gonna have a championship battle, I think it pretty much depends entirely on the very unlikely prospect that we emerge from these two power-sensitive tracks with Verstappen having scored two wins, or at least be properly in the mix on merit. Because if that happens, then Verstappen can go to every race between now and the end of the season and think, I've got a chance of winning this Grand Prix. And he needs to pretty much win the majority of the remaining what nine races and have Hamilton finish second, third, or off the podium a, a fair bit to make up ground. And we saw last year when the Red Bull Renault package was less competitive relatively to, to what Red Bull Honda is now. Verstappen went on a major podium scoring streak and he scored more points than everyone except Hamilton. And that's the problem. He, he's going up against... He's, he's, got the, he's got the ability and he's probably got the car to go on a similar run this year and, and score a load of points and probably win two or three races between now and the end of the year still. But he's up against Hamilton who will also win races between now and the end of the year and he won't drop a massive number of points. So with, with great respect to Bottas who, who I like, and I think he's a good driver. You're right. He's a de facto number two. I don't see him coming out and, and harrying Hamilton to the end. Verstappen's got a crumb of a chance, but yeah, as I said earlier, I think the championship's all over pretty much except in, in a mathematical sense. And the intrigue now is race by race, and and who can who can basically stop Hamilton and Mercedes running away with a silly number of wins? Which, while it'd be nice to have a championship fight, that's still plenty of intrigue for the for the rest of the season. It's going to be a, a fascinating uh, run of races through to Abu Dhabi. But yeah, I think Verstappen is sixty nine points down, and if if you look historically, making up a gap of that magnitude just doesn't happen. I think if you kind of balance it up, so obviously to allow for the fact that points for a win have, have gone up. In terms of a, a realistic gap, I think the only one who's made up a bigger gap than that over a year was James Hunt against Nicky Lauda in '76. And obviously, Nicky Lauda was it was not rate, not competing on a number of occasions before he came back at Monza after his Nurburgring shunt. So that wasn't a, a kind of fair fight in 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 that regard. So yeah, very very difficult to see, but still uh, huge amounts of uh, of storylines. The, the big storyline we're wondering about now is when will this traffic end? You might have heard in the background a little bit of Stuart Codling indicating as he's. Uh, as he's tried to merge onto this this latest road, I see roadworks ahead. So it's it's all happening in the uh, in the autosport car, uh, but at least that's cut back on the road noise over the past uh, ten minutes or so. So uh, thanks very much to Scott Mitchell and to Jake Boxleg, and also thanks very much to chauffeur Stuart Codling. Do you like to say something to to the listeners? Yeah, a pox on people who drive Volkswagen Foxes and don't let cars full of people move into traffic. Yeah, we can see very much where uh, Stuart Codling's mindset is at the moment. Uh, do check out autosport.com for all our coverage from Spa this weekend. We'll have our normal 
big team on the ground there this weekend and of course Autosport Magazine out every Thursday check out Sister Titles F1 Racing Magazine out monthly Motorsport News out every Wednesday and also motorsport.com if you like the podcast please make sure you're subscribed to it it's out every Monday and Thursday usually obviously on Monday morning early we'll have our Belgian Grand Prix review episode thanks for joining us we'll be back soon with another Autosport Podcast Music is 6am by Trilo, written by Marcus Simmons. See soundcloud.com forward slash Trilo Music. redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.